Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Florida's newly passed Don't Say Gay law is part of the rise of anti-LGBTQ legislation across the country. Plus, Massachusetts was the first state to legally recognize same-sex marriage, but it's now the only New England state that hasn't updated a law to give clear legal protections for LGBTQ parents. And Catwoman returns to the big screen in The Batman, portrayed as bisexual for the first time in film. It's our LGBTQ News Roundtable. Later in the show, the country's first rural transgender health clinic is right here in Massachusetts. How an independent center by and for the transgender community is filling a hole in the healthcare industry. But first, joining me now, Grace Sterling Stowell, Executive Director of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, or Bagley. Welcome, Grace. Hi, Callie. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Also with me, Jansen Wu, Executive Director of the GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders. Hi, Jansen. Hi, Callie. Wonderful to be here. And E.J. Graff, journalist, author, and managing editor of The Monkey Cage at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, E.J. Great to be here. Uh, I'm going to start because it's still evolving, the crisis in Ukraine, and it has something to do with our conversation today in this LGBTQ roundtable. We've seen the pictures of the tragic pictures of people trying to leave Ukraine, tried to get safely to other countries that are accepting and seem warm and open. Um, But there are some people in that group who are having some issues, and they are LGBTQ. Before you all respond, Let's take a listen to Julia Mashoka of Warsaw Pride speaking on Bloomberg's quick take about the challenges for LGBTQ plus refugees fleeing Ukraine. But what we are fearing um, about the most is trans community. Uh, They need access to doctors. They need access to medication to be able to continue transitions that they started in Ukraine but also they are the most vulnerable uh, in terms of safety. So what we are trying to do is to provide them with everything they need here. And um, EJ, as people are thinking about it, Brittany Griner, the basketball star, has been arrested allegedly for carrying some drugs that are, are not approved in Russia. So this is all part and parcel of the conversation that's happening in this on the ground and ever evolving crisis. What's your response? I am very moved by how the Polish pride groups are working to help the LGBTQI Ukrainian refugees. Poland and Hungary, which is where countries that many people are fleeing to, are both democratic backsliders, meaning the governments are undermining democracy in 
those countries undermining the independence of the courts, changing how people vote, uh, all things we're all familiar with a little bit, but much farther along. And part of what they have done over the past few years is actively campaign for votes, the, the autocratic parties, by attacking what they call gender ideology or Western LGBTQ, et cetera, identities. And in response, the experts that I know have told me they, the LGBTQ community has actually become one of the best organized in those countries, especially mm -hmm. Poland, best organized on the continent. So the fact that they are specifically reaching out in advance to help the Ukrainian refugees, rainbow refugees, I'll say, is just spectacular. Hmm. Grace. You know, my heart goes out to you know, everyone in Ukraine, but especially the citizens, the, the, the families, the children, uh, you know, Anytime there's war or conflict, the, those who are most vulnerable are, are the ones who are the most targeted. And we're seeing that in with children and women and families. We're seeing it in LGBT folks. And we're seeing it with people of color, everyone struggling to, to flee or defend themselves or, or escape. And we're seeing it all playing out in real time here where the, the systems that are in place don't, you know, in, in this situation, very few people are protected, but those who are most vulnerable are struggling just to survive. And I'm, I'm heartened by the resistance, heartened to see the organizing that's been going on and, uh, and, and hope, hope that they can, they can prevail. Jansen. Yeah, I just want to echo how heartbreaking this has all been to witness. Um, I was just watching yesterday the viral video of the young girl who was singing let it go in the bunker and <laughs> i have a three-year-old daughter right now and and let it go is is on repeat <laughs> in, in our house and and that just uh, was really devastating to to think about um one one thing i wanted to do is kind of you know broaden out um you know the concern that we have for lgbtq um internally displaced peoples and refugees um to you know the larger group of vulnerable uh, populations and, you know, and you, what's kind of makes Ukraine uh, a little different from other humanitarian crises is that it has a larger percentage of older adults as well as people living with disabilities. And then, of course, it has a larger proportion of LGBTQ people who are openly, who are out. And so those kind of greater populations of vulnerable populations, it's, it's going to be really challenging for the humanitarian communities to ensure that they are being protected um, and that their needs are being met. It's hard to see good options going forward. And I think that's what's really been heartbreaking for all of us. Mm. Well, speaking of vulnerable, here in this country, there appears to be a coordinated move legislatively to limit or to ban all kinds of things when it involves trans youth. And the states of Texas and Florida are particularly prominent. I guess there's something going on in Alabama as well. These are the ones we've heard about. Most recently, the one that's gotten a lot of attention is the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, which, as we said at the top, has just passed. Here's Florida State Representative Joe Harding on ABC News speaking out about the Don't Say Gay bill that he sponsored. Critics call it the Don't Say Gay bill. So I just did a little research before the interview of, of the hundreds of articles that have been written that have called it the Don't Say Gay bill for the over six weeks. This has been 
um, in the national news. Not one of them has acknowledged that the word gay is never in the bill. The word LGBTQ is never in the bill. What they are doing is leading a fear-mongering effort. Uh, the bill, all it does is state what is age, talks about uh, what's appropriate in the classroom to teach. And then it talks about the fact that the parent has the right to be engaged in the education of their children. Now, here's also Bravo TV host Andy Cohen speaking on his show, Watch What Happens Live, about Florida's Don't Say Gay Law. If my son went to school and talked about his gay dad during class and the teacher engaged, under your vague, hateful law, that could be considered illegal? You can draft all the homophobic and transphobic bills you want. You're not going to erase us. I just wonder how many children and families need to suffer before our politicians figure that out. So I'll let you start, Jansen. What about all these laws? Now this one that's actually on the books or about to be and the ones in Texas and Florida, and there appears to be others waiting in the pipeline. Well, that, that first description was about as disingenuous as you could get, um, even though the word gay does not appear in the bill. Um, the, the law prohibits discussion of sexual orientation, gender identity below a certain age. And then for above that age, uh, it has this, you know, really subjective, vague standard of what is age appropriate. But, you know, I think the bigger challenge is that it authorizes lawsuits by parents against schools, which, you know, even if those lawsuits don't go into effect, will chill teachers from teaching about kind of the reality of families, the reality of the world, the reality of the students in those own classrooms. Um, these are school censorship laws. And we understand, we know the history of where this goes. Instead, we should see that we're better, right, as a as a community, as a nation, when we can have hard conversations and learn from them. Florida's not the only state to have passed a law, you know, limiting what teachers can teach and banning what teachers can say in the classroom. There's at least nine other states have passed laws restricting the teaching of issues around racism and the history of our countries around racism and other types of oppressions. There are actually New Hampshire right next door to us passed a law that restricts the ability of schools to teach about issues related to race and sex and gender identity and sexual orientation and disability. I'm glad just filed a, a lawsuit challenging that law. So unfortunately, this is not the end of the story. And it's really important for all of us to speak out against censorship when we see it. Grace? I agree with Jansen. This is part of a larger agenda that is truly frightening. And in all of this, from, from increased restrictions on, on uh, abortion to attacks on critical race theory to these kind of targeted bills around LGBT and especially the T, you know, all of these are connected and it's all part of a larger agenda that is really attacking children, youth, families, and our communities. And, and, and as I said earlier, the, often the most devastating impact is on young people who are the most vulnerable, who are either clear who they are or figuring out who they are or wanting to share with a trusted adult like a teacher or a school nurse or, or, or uh, you know, peers in school. Uh, these are all aimed at silencing and, and erasing and hitting people against people. And it's, it's, it's devastating. And, and I agree, we, we need to find a way to rise above this. While they're claiming to have the moral high ground, the folks pushing this around uh, protecting families and children and, and, and parents and so forth, it's really quite the opposite. They're, they're hurting families and young people. And EJ, a lot of young people, as they're trying to figure out, and if they haven't gotten support, or feel like someone sees them, it's a high rate of suicide 
among these kids. Yes, absolutely. I want to add to what my friends here have said. First, I want to say I, I find the Texas bill much more horrifying. Neighbors can turn you in if you are giving medically appropriate care to your trans child. Anybody can turn you in and any professional is mandated to turn you in for what they're calling child abuse. That's that's the vigilante anti-abortion law taken to an extreme. But what I want to echo is that all of this to me is part of the right-wing populism that is a problem in Poland and Hungary as well. It's an attempt to erase the reality of people's lives and the real variety of people's lives and replace teaching about reality, whether it's race or sex or sexuality and gender identity, replace people's choices with propaganda about how they should be and how they should behave. And it's just horrifying. You know, there is a article in Mother Jones, uh, a March 4th article, where it discusses that some parents, to your point, EJ, are actually planning to leave Texas. Uh, there's a quote from a parent saying, what choice do we have? I'd rather lose our home and our state than lose my child. Because that law is, as you say, defining gender-affirming health care, really, as child abuse, which is pretty strong. Yeah, they've and and their web the websites in the Texas websites have already taken down suicide prevention tips for LGBTQ children. It's it's already changing how Texas is behaving. It's just horrifying. Jansen, I know you're involved in legislation fighting this, but I'm imagining because of both what is happening in Texas and in terms of average folks can turn folks in and what's happening in states like New Hampshire, as you've just said, there's even a group called Moms for Liberty that have offered a bounty, that is the word they use, uh, to turn in teachers in New Hampshire who might be somehow crossing the line by bringing up any of the banned subjects. And of course, the teachers don't know, well, how, how do I know what's banned and, and, and not really in a regular conversation? So I'm imagining that they're not too long from now, there's going to be a test case from some parents or maybe even a, another community group, even outside of the LGBTQ community to push back against this. Yeah, I mean, these awful laws are being passed, um, will be challenged or are currently being challenged in court. So in addition to Glad's lawsuit challenging the school censorship law in New Hampshire, um, you know, speaking of Texas, um, the ACLU and Lambda Legal filed a lawsuit challenging uh, the governor's orders that Child Protective Services investigate parents who um, are affirming their, you know, child's gender, their transgender child's gender identity and supporting, um, you know, what is best practice medical care for their children. Um, that case, the plaintiff in that case, I think illustrates really well and heartbreakingly the reality of the impact. So this is a mother who actually works in the Child Protective Services, Services Agency. She has a transgender child. And when the governor issued his order, she asked her supervisors, what does this mean? Are we really going to enforce this and investigate parents? And in response, the child, the agency actually fired her and then investigated her and her family. So that is how serious this has become for families in Texas. 
this law, thanks to the lawsuit that was filed, um, is temporarily being stayed. There's a hearing tomorrow to decide whether or not that stay will continue through the remainder of the lawsuit. But, you know, there's families, like you said, who aren't going to wait to find out and they're looking to leave the state. Of course, what does that leave behind? The most vulnerable, um, mm. you know, families who can't afford to do that. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Grace Sterling Stowell of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, Jansen Wu of GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, and E.J. Graff of The Monkey Cage at The Washington Post. We're discussing the latest LGBTQ news you should know. Well, there are some people who are at uh, President Biden's door saying he's not doing enough, saying enough, though he took a moment, which can be thought of as historic, to remark on the uh, Bipartisan Equality Act during the 2022 State of the Union address to the nation. Here's what he said. For our LGBTQ plus Americans, let's finally get the Bipartisan Equality Act to my desk. The onslaught of state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families. It's simply wrong. And I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. Is this uh, enough, Grace? Do you feel like President Biden is doing the most that he can do to maybe slow some of this kind of legislation or bring more awareness to it or do whatever he can do from his own bully pulpit? Well, there's always more. It's certainly inspiring, I mean, to have the president of the United States speaking out and saying the word transgender, saying that we have your back and, and, and calling for the passage of the Equality Act. I mean, these are all great things. And, and of course, there's more to do. And all of these, we, we're talking about Texas and Florida and so forth. And we may think that, oh, here in Massachusetts, we're a blue state, we're a progressive state, we have legal protections, we have so much. And it's true. But this, this impacts young people and their families families in Massachusetts as well. I'm hearing from young people on the ground about, you know, they're scared. Could this happen here? And even and even if it doesn't happen legally, it empowers bullies, it empowers those who hate to to feel like that they can they can attack young people and their families. So it it has a ripple effect no matter where we live. And so the more our elected leaders locally and nationally, including the president, can speak up and challenge this and name that it's wrong, it it it's sends a counter-narrative to what we're hearing from these states. All right. Jansen? Obviously, you know, the federal government can't impact state legislation, but what would make a huge difference, and this is what Biden mentioned in the State of the Union speech, is if we were to pass the Equality Act, finally, after decades and decades of advocacy. The Equality Act is landmark, historic legislation that would finally add LGBTQ people to our nation's most iconic non-discrimination laws in our history. And there is broad support on both sides of the aisles for this as well, too. It's passed the House. We are need to secure 60 votes in the Republic and in, in the Senate. Um, and that is what GLAD, along with um, a large national coalition of LGBTQ organizations, are fighting to do right now. All right. Now, speaking of other legislation, there is some that needs to be updated in Massachusetts. I guess I was surprised that in the state that, as we've said, was out in front on same-sex marriage is the last one, Jansen, to update 
the Uniform Parentage Act? That's right. Well, the last in New England to update its parentage laws to actually reflect what parents look like, and not just LGBTQ families, um, but all families. Um, So our parentage laws, our family laws in Massachusetts were written at a time when people's conceptions of families were really different. And when the idea of a family was either based in biology or based in marriage. But we know that families are created in all different ways outside of marriage and outside of genetics. And this law, um, this bill, the Massachusetts Parentage Act, would modernize our laws in Massachusetts to finally provide the protections that all children deserve in the Commonwealth to have a secure legal relationship with their parents so that, God forbid, if something happens, they're not torn away from the only people they've ever known in their lives Um, as parents. But that's currently the vulnerable state that families are in right now. Families that have used assisted reproductive technologies, families where the parents are not married, families where one of the parents is not genetically related to the child. They are all at risk or they have to go through expensive and time-extensive legal proceedings to ensure that their families will be protected. The Massachusetts Parentage Act would eliminate all of that and ensure that All families are respected and recognized for who they are based upon, you know, the intent as well as how they actually act. So is everybody ready to vote on it? I mean, where is it? Why isn't it? What's taking so long? (laughs) Well, you will not be surprised to hear that they just got another extension to Mm. uh, pass it out of committee. Uh, And so we are hopeful. Um, But, you know, there's lots of competing priorities that the state house is grappling with. And so we're asking, you know, everybody who, you know, supports family equality for LGBTQ folks uh, to contact your legislators and tell them that it's time to pass full comprehensive family protections for LGBTQ people and, and beyond. I guess I always think, Grace, that if it's a, I know there's competing priorities, but if it's one that doesn't cost anybody any money, that, you know, that rises to the top of something that could get some attention. I just want to point out that when this was passed originally in 1973, it was to protect children born to unmarried people. And that was thought to be, you know, wildly radical at the time. So there was some hint that there can be families that look differently. It seems to me to be a hard thing to update to this point, Grace. Well, absolutely. You know, as, as I echo everything you know, Jansen said, families come in all shapes, sizes, colors, forms, you know, that, that uh, more than ever before. And, you know, we, the young people that we work with at Bagley and across Massachusetts and the Agley Network are, are, are part of many different kinds of families that, that are, are not what, how families were de- defined even, even a few years, let alone a few decades ago. And uh, there's, there's no question that they need legal protections. Uh, they need to be protected so that, you know, unfortunately, you know, whether it's health or illness or whatever other reasons uh, where, where uh, you lose a parent or a caregiver or, or something happens, and if these protections aren't in place, then families are torn apart. And, and of course, that, that tears apart the young people and who need the most support. So it should be a no-brainer. This, 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 it benefits everyone. It hurts no one. And uh, I, I hope it I hope it passes. Last word, EJ? Well, I think it's always helpful to remember that the concept of family is not some like firm, unchanging thing that was created in 1950 with Donna Reed on television. I don't even know if that was the year she was on television. But that um, 
throughout history has always been changing. I mean, I did write the book about the history of marriage and that is the one thing I came away with that every era, every culture, every area, every religion redefines what they call family, how they consider it. So the fact that we need to change the law isn't some weird aberration, it's natural. You are constantly having to update the law to keep up with the reality of what a family is. And God knows, although we all wish it weren't so, um, uh, lesbian and gay and every other kind of family can, parents can behave just as badly as in standard issue 1950s families. And whether it's disaster or divorce, children do need that protection. Well, I am determined to close our conversation with some pop culture, primarily because there's two good examples of the power of image. And it's always interesting to talk with marginalized groups about how that power of image plays itself out in the real world. So first, Sarah Ramirez is an actor. She plays the character Jay Diaz on the HBO series that is the follow-up to Sex in the City and Just Like That. Here's a clip, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Che Diaz has liberated themselves from the gender binary. They don't identify as a woman or a man. This is X, Y, and Me, the podcast that talks about gender roles, sexual roles, and cinnamon rolls. <laughs> they have the capacity to be attracted to all sorts of people, and their gender expression is what today we would refer to as masculine of center. I really get off on watching the bros try to figure out what I am. I'm an equal opportunity confuser. <laughs> So that's Che Diaz, played by Sarah Ramirez, the most hated character right now on, on streaming services. And here's the flip side of that. Here's a clip from the Batman trailer. Now, Zoe Kravitz plays Catwoman in this new film, which, by the way, is blowing up, you know, all of the theaters. People are very excited about it. And it features Robert Pattinson as Batman. And as I said, Zoe Kravitz has decided and said she had decided to play Catwoman as bisexual. Here she is. If we don't stand up, no one will. You got a lot of cats. Never think about strays. The bat and the cat. It's got a nice ring. A new friend of yours? I'm not so sure. Uh, that's from The Batman. I want to be clear that that's not the first time that the character Catwoman has played a bisexual. In the comics, she has, but never on film. And so this was a deliberate choice. So to all of you, the power of image, you know, it, it goes a long way to either changing people's minds or informing them, whatever. What do you think about the impact of these two characters who are polar opposites in terms of likability? I'll start with you, Grace. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, uh, that back in the 60s, the, the original TV show, I watched it it religiously loved it and wanted to be Catwoman, thought she was the best, uh, whether she was played by Julie Newmar or Eartha Kitt or in the 60s Batman movie by Lee Merriweather. So I, I love the character. I think it's fabulous that, you know, my understanding uh, was that she was always intended to be bisexual in, in the comics. So the fact that she is being portrayed that way is a wonderful step forward. And I think representation matters. So uh, I think it's important that that folks are openly who they are, and especially 
we don't always talk about the B and the LGBTQ. And so that she's openly bisexual. I think that's great on multiple levels. I'll full confession on the, the Sex and the City reboot. I've only watched the first two episodes. So <laughs> I think I saw the character introduced, but did not, uh, had not watched anything beyond that. And so uh, again, I always think it's important to have representation and the diversity of who we all are and, and, and their character brings that to the Sex and the City reboot. And even if somebody's hated, you know, that the LGBTQ folks, I hope we can, we are getting to the point where we represented in so many ways that, that we can play characters that might not always be, uh, uh, you know, we don't have to always be the perfect character, uh, that maybe representation has been diverse enough that we can. But um, I haven't seen the show, so I can't see how that plays out. Uh, but uh, I, I saw the character introduced and thought, well, great, you know, this is how wonderful to see a non-binary uh, character who is who is using they, them pronouns and, and, and providing that representation on television. EJ? You know, I'm going to say, I was hoping you wouldn't call on me for pop culture. I am pop culture negative. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just so behind on Everything. Well, answer the question about whether image image and and pop culture, if you haven't seen either of them, um, makes a difference. Of course, it's wonderful that we're showing up. My impression, and I can't wait to see the Batman um, with my teenager. Uh, my impression is that the is that Catwoman gives only a, the littlest hint. Like you have to be alert to pick up the fact that she's by. But even so, I'd rather get a wink than nothing. We are there and I'm glad we're there. I have no idea why this Jay Diaz character is hated, but yes, better to be there than not be there. It's good. Jansen, you get the last word. Uh, well, having not watched the reboot um, and also having not you know, been a huge Batman or Catwoman fan, uh, I had just three thoughts. Uh, Grace already took one of them, which is that, you know, thank God that representation is at a point now where we can have characters who are awful and it's okay because we have others. <laughs> so that's, that is progress. Um, I think also um, the, you know, the two examples you brought up are in the, in the middle of the spectrum, you know, they don't fall into the binary, whether it comes, you know, um, relates to gender or sexual orientation. And I think that really is kind of the next um, level of awareness um, and education for folks. So I think that's another area of progress. And then the last thing I'll just say is like, I think Robert Pattinson should get an Oscar simply for being able to say that line. You have a lot of cats with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to end. Well, let me thank all of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Grace Sterling Stoll is the executive director of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, or Bagley. Jansen Wu is the executive director of GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD. E.J. Graff is a journalist, author, and managing editor of The Monkey Cage at The Washington Post. Coming up, TransHealth Northampton wants to change primary care for its trans patients and reform the healthcare industry for good measure. The trans-led independent healthcare clinic is providing much needed care to an underserved community. And the Western Massachusetts facility is advocating for national transgender rights. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. 